Hello. Welcome to the Capital Markets Panel. Uh, my name is Will Vogel. I'm a partner at Watson, Farley & Williams here in New York. My experience is in capital markets representing shipping issuers. We have the uh, usual fantastic array of investment bankers to talk to you about the topic. Um, so to my immediate left is Christopher Pacelli of Citi. We have Jay Kwan, DNB, Doug Mavernack, uh, Jeffries, and Mike Kirk at RMK. Hopefully they're all well known to you all. So I'll start right in. I wanted to focus on the uh, equity markets initially uh, in our discussion. Um, obviously the last couple years have been a story of difficulty in capital raising for shipping uh, in uh, the capital markets, in equity and in New York in particular perhaps. So I'll ask each of the panelists, uh, where do you uh, think we are now um, in the equity markets in particular? And if you could take a look around the corner and tell us where you think we're going next in the near term. I guess, Krista, do you mind starting off? Sure, You're I'm immediately happy to. at hand. Um, so where are we today? Well, we are certainly in a backdrop of strong earnings in sectors like tankers, and so that has been driving up stock prices pretty dramatically uh, so that we've reversed course in terms of that segment of the market today now trading above NAV, uh, where for a pretty long time uh, most companies were, were trading below. Uh, we have come off of a period for really the last four years in the U.S. Uh, where U.S. equity issuance volumes have been at pretty poor levels. And that's just been a function of the underlying performance of all the companies. But I would say separately from what's happening right now in the tanker markets, we have felt quite positive as we head into 2020. Um, we've been out doing a survey with investors in the last couple of months and do believe that investors are looking to put money back to work in shipping. Um, I think there's general consensus across many of the sectors in terms of what the backdrop is um, for, for tankers. Um, I was here for the dry bulk panel and certainly you heard the owners quite positive there in terms of what happened to earnings and ultimately it is increased earnings that will drive stock prices upward. So I do feel confident that we will start to see investor interest come back. I think though that is, it is changing a bit and I'm sure as we go on we'll talk about trends of consolidation and you know you heard it on the banking panel um, just ahead of this that larger companies that are public can attract more capital sources and so we do think that there will be increased differentiation of value uh, for companies in the markets, but uh, next year should be a much better year, we all hope. So do you, um, in these surveys, are you hearing um, sort of an overhang of uncertainty about IMO 2020, or is that all priced in? Um, no, I don't think IMO 2020 is all priced in. I think that, you know, it, it's, we're now getting to the point in time where we'll all see what it means, right? right. We'll see how it translates to differentiated earnings for companies depending on their strategy. For the moment, it's all been listening to speculation around what will happen, and so we'll see that and, and we'll see it come through. So I think it is, we're now at a point where we should see that bear fruit in terms of differentiation of, of earnings. So heading, heading down the road, Jay, uh, a, a picture has been painted of, of general optimism mm -hmm. in the shipping. Do you agree? No, we, we agree. And you know, having lived through this for many years, as, as Krista and many of my colleagues have, have, have uh, lived through for the past few years, the, just the difficult shipping market, I think, you know, there have been pockets where we have been able to raise equity, uh, but it has been um, much more difficult. But clearly, you know, what we've been seeing recently with the 
uh, with the tanker, tanker stocks certainly running up. Um, I think there has been some increased attractiveness and focus around the tanker space, but generally I would say that we are seeing right now, I think people looking more attentively at this IMO 2020, you mentioned that. I think we are waiting to see whether or not this is a real impact or a game changer heading into 2020. And I think people, some are on the sidelines just waiting to see whether this is real and others are starting to make their bets. So I'd say that if anything, even prior to this tanker run up, we have been starting to see some of the long only guys who have typically shied away from tip from shipping, I would say, over the last couple of years, starting to um, ask more questions and spend more time in the space, and not just in tankers, but across the different uh, parts of shipping. And so I think that has been actually quite encouraging. But um, you know, time will tell uh, as we head into 2020 what that means. Uh, we definitely agree that the larger tanker, larger dry bulk, you know, the, it's the larger um, market cap names who I think will certainly have a real distinct advantage, and I, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Doug, please. Yeah, um, maybe adding a couple of uh, additional thoughts to what Chris and Jay have already provided. Um, but Chris mentioned about you know how paltry the capital raising environment has been in the in the public markets over the last couple of years, and while it has been paltry, um, you know there are investors that uh, were looking for opportunities. So you know our firm uh, personally, um, you know we were involved in the Genco follow-on as well as the Eagle Convert, uh, so equity linked, um, and, and so you know investors are there for the right opportunity, um, the right combination of uh, sector management, use of proceeds, et cetera. So those investors, you know, they just are looking for, once again, the right opportunity. Um, when we look at what's happening today and, and, you know, talking about what's coming around the corner, you know, everyone in this room knows about how strong the tanker market is and everyone with a screen can see how the equities have been responding. Um, and, and, you know, much like Chris and uh, Jay already mentioned, um, you know, the market is quite strong, but other things that we look at that I think may be useful um, for, for members of the audience is, you know, when you look at um, companies that are attending today and the, the one-on-one -on -one schedules and the number of guys that they're meeting with. Um, our own analyst was on CNBC yesterday, and, and you know, you're, you're starting to see, um, you know, the Wall Street Journal and Financial Times picking up stories on the strength of the shipping market. And those sorts of things are very important in terms of affecting um, successful transactions because it's not just looking at you know the narrow shipping only uh, investors that you're now talking with. Um, you're, you know anyone that's watching CNBC or reading the Wall Street Journal is now realizing that something positive is going on in the shipping markets. And when you're looking at you know affecting positive uh, capital markets transactions. Oftentimes, it's those um, additional investors that are required for the best execution. So um, we're quite optimistic, not just because uh, the market is good right now and you're starting to see the, the necessary ingredients for, or, um, for successful capital market transactions, but when you look at the fundamentals, when you look at you know, these restrictions that have been put in place that are you know, largely responsible for the strength, they're not coming off in the next couple of weeks. And if anything, um, if you look at the strength of the market and how some of the owners are reacting to delaying scrubber installations until next year, that's just going to extend how long the market is tight. So, um, so we're quite optimistic and we think all the necessary ingredients are there for, uh, for, for some successful activity. So Doug, um, you, you said there's more attention being paid. Um, I guess I'll sort of just skip topics and ask you to speak to uh, has the retreat of analysts, dedicated analysts from the space, sort of uh, affected that um, as the market thaws? Yeah, it, you know, as um, you know, probably some ship owners can relate. You know, if you're one of the survivors um, through a nasty downturn, you're positioned best for the upturn, and 
while you know, as an industry, um, losing a lot of analysts is not positive because I'll tell you, you know, pushing shipping equities over the last 10 years was a challenge. Um, when, you're, when I say pushing, I'm talking about talking to your 50-something sales guys or 100-something sales guys, whatever number of sales guys are at your firm, and trying to get their attention to go out and make a call on a you know, positive dry mar bulk market or a positive tanker market. You know, that's hard. And, and so whenever you see your competitors and other guys not doing that anymore, then you know the investor at Fidelity or Wellington isn't getting that call anymore. Doesn't know what's happening. So, so it makes it difficult for the industry. But um, but for guys that are still committed to the space, um, it is a positive. Um, but um, but you know just as an observer, so not just a participant, but as an observer, you know I can't imagine a worse time for for our competitors to capitulate. Mm. Mike, do you want to speak to the big picture? Sure. I think uh, the. The, the really interesting thing recently with the crude market and to some extent the Cape size market um, is the reintroduction of upside volatility. I think investors were all too aware of downside volatility and when you pitch them on ideas and things, you know, that, that would always come up, but everyone kind of forgot the upside. Um, and obviously we're seeing it in some stock price moves, but also, you know, we just had a conversation recently on a deal unrelated to the crude market, but there was a a convertibility feature and the investor was saying, well, you know, my committee is not really going to give much credit to the, the upside case. And then we said, okay, well, you know, maybe we'll just take that away and we'll increase the, increase the coupon. And then it was a quick, no, 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 no. Whereas I think six months ago, they would have been happy to take that trade. So I think people are realizing uh, ships can do what they're doing right now. And there's a lot of, uh, if you're, if you're well-placed in the cap structure, there's a lot of interesting upside in the equity. Uh, so that's a positive. So, um, uh, a couple of you, or, or almost all of you, have touched on um, consolidation and um, the benefits of size as a differentiator. Um, certainly we've seen a lot of that in the last couple of years, M&A and asset, uh, share-based asset acquisitions, ships for shares. Um, is, that, is that trend continue? Have you seen you know, proof of concept? Have the larger companies been rewarded? Or are we still waiting to see how that plays out? Why don't we sort of go in reverse? And Mike, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think it'll continue. I also think it's a lot, heck of a lot easier now um, if companies are trading above NAV. Um, you know, it makes a ship for share that much easier. Um, you know, and also we might just get some separation where, you know, even public company to public company transactions can make sense. So uh, everything's easier on the M&A front if you're trading above NAV. Right. Yeah, agreed. And I can say firsthand that, you know, we're having many conversations with many owners on that very topic um, right. of looking for M&A opportunities. <laughs> Um, and, you know, ships for shares, um, cash, et cetera, everything is on the table. So, um, and that was prior to, um, prior to the recent run-up in the tanker market. I mean, I'm talking, you know, every sector within shipping, you know, those conversations are being had. And I do think it's with the recognition that, um, you know, bigger is better. It's, it, you know, 2005, six, seven, I mean, you could take a six vessel public company, public, sure. uh, company public. Um, you can't do that now. I mean, there are certain minimums that, and because investors have seen that shipping is cyclical. And so it's important to be able to get in, they need to be able to get out. And so, you know, size is ultra important. And, and I think if you see, you know, things like what Scorpio has done um, very recently, yeah. um, you know, large companies can do those sorts of transactions that may be more difficult for smaller companies. Right. So um, Jay, the last panel put out as a threshold a two billion uh, market cap. Um, you know, do, do, do you think that's the, that's the size threshold that we need and we see benefits there? Well, I, I think the, well, I, I will, let me start this way. I think <laughs> when we have been talking to companies about looking at an IPO, um, we, have, we have really started increase the threshold. Um, I think it's hard to say that there's a, you know, hard and fast rule that you have to be half a billion or a billion market cap. But I think what's 
very clear is that companies who are able to transact are the ones who are billion plus market cap companies and, and even before this run up as well. I, I think the other part I would say is the, um, Doug mentioned this, I think the discussion around consolidation, it's interesting because there was a point in time, I'm sure some of you remember, where it was all about pure play, pure play X, pure play Y. I think what you're seeing now is there's a more um, focus on size and liquidity and so you don't necessarily need to be a quote unquote pure play but I think there are, you know, as long as obviously the within the sector, whether it's in the tank or the dry bulk sector, you, you can look across different class sizes and that doesn't necessarily, um, you know, uh, necessarily penalize you from an investor perspective, it actually improves your liquidity and, and makes you a much bigger, bigger company. So I would say that that's probably more the focus. I don't think it's, you know, clearly with the nice run up, we're seeing some companies that are now billion, billion and a half, two billion market cap, and that's going to just benefit the industry more and more, and I think make those companies much more uh, attractive in terms of potential consolidation for, for smaller names. Thanks, that's interesting. So Krista, you already made this point strongly. I assume you agree with everyone about the benefits of size and consolidation. Yeah, I do, and I, I think you've seen it proven out in the equity markets. If you go back and study the stock price performance of the companies who have announced transactions, you will see a very clear pattern of stock price outperformance and a positive share price reaction across the board to most of the transactions that have been announced in the maritime sector. And mm -hmm. so I think this is something that investors are embracing. They see the benefits of it. And it's not just about the liquidity in the stock, which I fully agree is very, very important as, as we all are attempting to attract more investors in the space, but it's about building a platform that is set up for what shipping is going to be in the future and having the financial resources to be investing in what's next, right? Thinking about how you're going to get your company to meet the new IMO standards, to think about how you can embrace technology and have the resources to be investing in terms of managing your business more effectively. And companies that are operating on a smaller scale just don't have access to the same resources to leverage across a bigger platform. So I think your investors see the potential mm -hmm. of uh, what larger companies can do with the scale of their balance sheet and spreading out costs um, across the overall platform. So, I mean, could you speak then for a minute about, as the market thaws, other differentiators other than size, perhaps that size unlocks for you? Um, I mean, you mentioned technology and green shipping was discussed in the last panel and the investments that are necessary there, but sort of near term, what are other differentiators? Is it, um, you know, corporate governance? Um, is it more of a cash flow dividend story rather than an asset play? I mean, what, what, what else do you see being a focus of equity investors going forward? I think the, the focus is really back to, back to basics in terms of proper balance sheet management, having a dividend policy which is not overstretching the balance sheet but is appropriate for the cycle. I think as a general statement, um, many investors and analysts are expecting dividends to pick up next year off the back of a stronger earnings environment, but no one's expecting a return to a full payout model where companies are paying out more than they can actually sustain for an asset that has a finite life. Mm. So I think it's important that you know financial policy is prudent, good corporate governments 
you know, themes of ESG, you know, that, that are kind of percolating through the sector and in the financing markets, that's increasingly uh, a focus for both debt and equity investors. And, and you're seeing more and more companies uh, in shipping, you know, try to make that part of their investor dialogue about the things that they are doing both internally and externally towards those initiatives. And, and those are themes that are increasingly resonating in the markets. Even in the short term, not just in the five-year window. Yes. Yeah. So, Jay, uh, any, any other uh, factors that you would like to emphasize? I, I think, it's, as Krista said, it's yeah. back to basics here. I think once we start to see the earnings ramp up, um, and again, this is why we were saying earlier, people are sort of sitting on the fence to see what the real impact of IMO 2020 will look like. Um, we've seen, um, obviously, this. What's happened with the sanctions has really uh, driven the current uh, excitement around the tanker names, but again, that hasn't necessarily factored in the IMO 2020, so I think that's gonna be uh, a key factor for investors. The other thing which we are hearing more and more about, and I think uh, issuers are hearing more and more about, is, is the ESG topic, which I think probably a couple years ago was probably not something that was really mentioned um, in either investor meetings or frankly across different banks, but. I think that is becoming a much more relevant topic, and I think many companies are taking a much more proactive stance to address ESG um, with many of their discussions. Um, you know, many of the one-on-ones today that um, are happening today, we, we know from talking to companies pr previously that they were saying that, you know, they're, they're hearing more and more from uh, investors that they would like to hear more about their ESG policy. So again, this is something that I don't think we were, um, we had really anticipated a couple years ago. But I'd say that that's, that's definitely an important topic, and I would say that could become more important in terms of an uh, investor's decision. Doug, would you yeah. like to add anything? And, yeah, you know, I, I would concur with, with both what Chris and Jay yeah. said. I mean, you know, to me, you know, one thing that's not controllable is the sector that you're in. I mean, guess, you, know, you make a decision on your, whether you want to be a crude tanker or a product tanker, but once that decision is made, you know, obviously the sector fundamentals will have a big impact on the success of any sort of offering or any sort of transaction. But the other is just once again echoing, you know, just management, um, financial discipline as a function of management. And, you know, over the last, you know, I was going to say several years, but almost been a decade, it's been about, you know, how do you manage your balance sheet? But now you're going to be seeing a lot of companies generating a lot of cash over the next quarter or so. It's how do you deploy that cash? You know, do you delever? Do you grow, uh, you know, prudently? Do you return some of it to shareholders? Um, you know, I think that that would be something where, you know, if it was done prudently and reasonably, you know, investors would probably receive very favorably. Um, by no means kind of advocating some sort of full dividend payout model, but, you know, a little bit of return to cash to shareholders, either in the form of buybacks, which, you know, on paper sounds great, but effectively it hasn't been as successful as dividends. So, you know, just, you know, you know management and everything that that entails. Yeah. And Mike, I mean, just speaking to any of these points, or do you see do you see that sort of as things thaw, the IPO window opens, or do these sort of interest flow to the surviving companies? Yeah, I think it's I think the focus is going to be on the surviving companies for the near term. I guess as we go down the the table here, we, I, I'm the opposite of I, I I think full dividend payout model is a great idea. I think people mm -hmm. should do it as long as you have low leverage. I think the the market needs different types of models. First of all, no public shipping company is a ship owner. There's no asset play from a company perspective. They don't sell ships. The asset plays the shareholders. The shareholder can buy and sell shares whenever they want. So you want to give people different models within the market. Um, a full dividend payout is one. Another one might be a charter strategy. Another one might use that cash. But it's a lot easier to grow when you talk about these big expensive assets with equity issuance. And the only time we really can see consistent outperformance to NAV is with the full dividend payout model. So I think that's the way to go. 
Right, and you know, we've been uh, maybe implicitly sort of discussing the, the U.S. markets. There's been more activity in the, in the Norwegian markets lately. Um, you know, how do you see that going forward? I mean, Jay, maybe you wanna speak to this from DNB's perspective? Sure, uh, I think the, the Norwegian market um, has certainly picked up a lot of the slack, I think maybe when the U.S. market has been a little bit weaker. Um, I'd say within the Norwegian markets, and, and I think we may discuss this um, over the last 12 months, we, we have seen a lot of activity, certainly on the, on the fixed income side. I would say that that has been um, a market that many issuers have taken advantage of. Um, and as most, most people know, one of the benefits of the Norwegian bond market is that you, you can do much more customized, sizable offerings, whereas in the U.S. you typically would need to have at least the 250, 300 million uh, bond offering to make make it attractive for for uh, U.S. high yield high yield issuance. Um, the other thing, of course, is uh, you know the absence of ratings, and so there we have seen several companies um, just you know continue to access the Norwegian bond market, and I think that's going to continue because it's for many of them they're repeat issuers. Um, and in the past, it used to be you had to have some sort of Norwegian content, but that is no longer the case, and so we again. I think um, I think we've seen a lot of uh, success with using the Norwegian bond market. At the same time, the U.S. bond market is clearly where the real depth of capital is, and so um, we have also seen several instances uh, here in the U.S. high yield bond market as well. Um, and I suspect that as the fundamentals again improve in the sector, that there should be again uh, opportunities for issuers to to access both both markets. Would anyone else like to pick up on this point? Um, you know, in particular, the the availability of uh, of the depth in the Norwegian market, as we're talking about larger market cap companies and presumably larger offerings. Yeah, I think Jay made an important point about you know the size of the transaction in Norway, um, where you know it's more I won't call it bespoke, but it, it's something that can get done over there. Whereas you know maybe in the in the high yield market or the the, the debt market, um, you know you need a bigger size over here. Um, so, so in that sense, I think it's very useful. Um, you know, if you look at um, the depth of the Norwegian market as it relates to equities or equity-linked products, um, you know, it's certainly a market that can help get a transaction done, um, but it can't carry the water, so to speak. I, I wouldn't say, based on our own experiences. Um, you know, it certainly, like I said, it helps round out transactions, but, you know, going to a larger size, either equity raise or convert or whatnot in Norway would be a bit more difficult based on, once again, our experiences versus uh, something in the high yield market. Right, so the conversation has drifted a bit from, from equity to, to, to debt products in the Norwegian market and, and equity-linked um, products. So Doug, you mentioned converts. Um, you know, do, maybe, maybe do you wanna to speak to the, the debt markets or other sort of debt-like products that, that might be uh, we might yeah, see sure. more of going forward? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the debt markets first in the U.S., as mentioned, you know, has to have a certain size, yeah. um, which, you know, oftentimes, you know, precludes some shipping companies from being able to participate. But there are alternatives. Um, and, and, you know, one of the alternative products that we really like is a convertible bond. Um, you know, when you look at, and granted, you know, every day tanker stocks and, and you know, wet cargo uh, stocks have been ripping on a daily basis. But, you know, as you're kind of getting close to your net asset values, um, you know, it's a nice instrument to be able to utilize and say, hey, look, you know, I can get three, four percent money um, that if it were to convert, it would convert at 125, 130 percent of net asset value. That's a decent alternative, something in the high single digits, which you might get in the public debt markets. Right. Mike, do you want to 
name any favorite capital markets products? Well, I think I think for us, you know, very, the debt world, um, convert world, whether convertible, uh, convertible prep or convertible debt, it's just it, there's just a much deeper universe of investors. Now, granted, we're doing private placement, so we're not out there going to retail investors. So for us, that's sort of where it has to be. Um, common equity is not really something we're focused on, um, and I think right now that's that's sort of where the well of uh, of opportunities are. Krista, what are you um, seeing in activity in the debt markets? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say we have a favorite product. City uh, can assist with pretty much any product in the capital markets, whether it's debt or equity or converts. I think convertible equity or convertible bonds can be interesting for the right size and situation with a shipping company. I think you have to be careful because sometimes the headline attractions of you know issuing stock at a certain premium, there's things about that structure that you really have to be careful with in terms of you know the dilutive effect on the underlying stock. But you know for the right company in the right situation, it can be very effective, and the markets are strong right now. Um, I guess one thing that hasn't been mentioned is um, the structured debt, institutional markets, private right. placements, and project bonds. Um, you know, it's been an area where we've been pretty active over the first part of this year. Um, you know, setting up institutional debt. Uh, we placed a, a billion one project bond against an FPSO in offshore Brazil mm -hmm. uh, for MODAC earlier this year uh, in a very successful transaction. And so there's very deep pockets of institutional debt capital uh, for the right structures uh, when you put an overlay um, and you have an asset in a long-term contract against it. And Jay, would you like to add anything on um on what you're seeing in the debt markets and maybe even the private placement side of things that we have neglected in this conversation. Yeah, I, I think we yeah, I, I think we addressed the debt markets. I, I think what Chris is alluding to is there's a lot of private placement debt capital that's out there as well, yeah. and that is absolutely an area of focus. Uh, project financing is something that um, we have seen a lot of interest in, and, uh, and certainly uh, related to what I would say um, wind, solar uh, type projects. So um, our bank has been quite um, successful in, in those types of projects and deals where, again, where you have a very strong counterparty, strong cash flows, and you're seeing a lot of interest on the U.S. Um, private placement debt side. So that's, that's definitely something that I would say we are seeing a lot of interest in. <coughs> so uh, that's, that's probably one area of focus. I would say that's probably different from the normal way um, not bond, U.S. high yield bond that we've seen. Great. Well, thank you all. I, it appears we're out of time. Do we have time for questions, or should we move to the next panel, Nick? Okay. <laughs> thank you to the panel. <laughs>